You're listening to a podcast produced by the Henry M. Jackson School of International Studies, the Centre for West European Studies and the EU Centre at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit our website at jsis.washington.edu forward slash cwes euc. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for being here. My name is Sarah Zaitis. I am the Associate Director here at the Strum Center. And I can tell you that seeing a room filled like this on a Tuesday afternoon at 3.30 really makes my job very, very worthwhile. So thank you so much for being here. It is such a pleasure to be able to um, introduce Professor Joe Butwin, who has been here at the Strum Center since its inception in the 1970s and has created such a tremendous tremendous digital project, Saludi Shalom, American Jews and the Spanish Civil War. Um, at the Strum Center, my director, Noam Pianco, who unfortunately has the flu and was unable to be here today, uh, and I, as well as my amazing uh, team, uh, including Emily Thompson, who uh, will walk you through the project um, a little later on, uh, and also Kara Schoonmaker, who's our digital media coordinator, spend a lot of time thinking about access and how we can translate the ideas and the research that is generated at the University of Washington uh, to a public, broad audience that really uh, spans the globe. Uh, so many of us, if we have a curiosity or an interest, we unfortunately don't begin our research uh, at you know, a University of Washington Libraries or any other library site because many don't have that kind of institutional access that's required to uh, reach some of those journals that many of the scholars in this room are um, you know, uh, publishing uh, regularly. So we are very pleased that if someone types in American Jews in the Spanish Civil War, the number three hit on Google is not some, you know, whatever Wikipedia garbage website, but it's this incredible project that was made here at the Strum Center at the University of Washington. So I'm just so pleased uh, to be here to be able to celebrate that launch. Um, I want to thank just a few people uh, before we continue. The first is the Department of Spanish and Portuguese Studies here at the University of Washington and the chair, Tony Lucero, for co-sponsoring the event. Uh, the amazing University of Washington Libraries and especially the talented Mary St. Germain who's over there and has helped so many people in this room um, access the, the research that, that they need. Um, and again, I just want to thank the amazing staff of the Strum Center who really are so talented, uh, Emily Thompson, the events and outreach manager at the Strum Center, and uh, Kara Schoonmaker, the digital media coordinator who really uh, brought this project to light, uh, our amazing events intern, Doria Nelson, um, and to all of you who took the time uh, on a Tuesday afternoon to come in and hear a talk. So thank you, uh, Emily. Without further ado, I think I will hand it off to Professor Joe Butwin. Thanks. I have to say that if, if there's anybody in the room who can't navigate uh, the site that we just saw, you're amazing. <laughs> because at every point, Kara tried it out on me. <laughs> Uh, and I let her know I was that uh, I was that perfect guinea pig, the perfect klutz, the perfect klutz. Uh, before I talk, I want to remember our friend Arno Motolsky, 
whose obituary is in the New York Times today, uh, uh, the greatest of American geneticists here at the University of Washington since the inception of the medical school, uh, died, uh, obviously, recently. Arno was on that doomed ship, the St. Louis, as an 18-year-old boy that brought uh, potential immigrants to America where they were rejected in the spring of May of 1939, and the ship was sent back to Europe. <clears throat> Miraculously, he was able to make it back uh, to the United States and make the extraordinary contributions that he's made to modern uh, genetic studies. I'd like to organize the things that I say uh, today under three pretty straightforward uh, headings. Um, and I think they should be showing over my shoulder uh, the words collaboration, retrospection, and then collaboration and retrospection. That final part will be the shortest. Collaboration in the 20th century, in 20th century Europe at least, has sinister overtones, sinister implications. Uh, in French, les collabos, collaborators, uh, refers uh, to people who worked with and generally for the Nazi regime in France and across Europe. I'd like, because I love the word collaboration, I'd like to cleanse the word and make it available to the current project, which clearly gives no comfort to fascism. And I want to suggest something more forceful, more clearly descriptive than the obligatory acknowledgments that often precede academic projects, not to mention uh, the uh, statuary that are doled out at that other academy uh, in Hollywood. So collaboration to work together. First, there are the people who brought these interviews to the, to the surface and made them available 25 years after I recorded them, and then stashed them in a metal, metal filing cabinet in my office, waiting for God knows what. Uh, waiting maybe for Mary <laughs> St. Germain uh, at Susalo, who got support from the friends of the library, who are friends of mine forever on that account. Uh, and oversaw the creation of a digital archive. Mary did that entirely in, in, under her supervision. A digital archive of, uh, of uh, cassette tapes that were fragile, uh, going, going, gone, are now, we hope, uh, a, a permanent digital archive of 39 interviews uh, um, that reside in the library. Noam Pianco, chair of Jewish studies, uh, helped to support um, transcription, the all-important transcription uh, of many of those interviews. Uh, Kara Schoonemaker, uh, for whom I can't say enough words of admiration, uh, is a webmaster, an artist, and a brutal editor. Uh, you've got to really hate the person who edits you. And I hate her so cordially uh, that I found ways of working with her. Uh, she turned these texts 
uh, of the interviews, my prose, some pictures, and the speech of my, I see I call them here, interviewees, uh, into a visible, audible artifact uh, that has already been received around the country, I know even before you spoke, uh, in England, in France, and in the Czech Republic. That is, I have three friends <laughs> in those places, um, thanks to the instant mobility of the internet. Lauren Curlin in Jewish Studies and Tony Geist in Spanish invited me to present early samples of this work in undergraduate and graduate seminars here and Emily Thompson, who is a specialist in Spain and Spanish language poetry, that helps, uh, and Electronic Archives uh, has been training me and you in how to use this particular archive. The next step is more collaboration uh, with Tony Geist, whom I just mentioned in Spanish, and with Ed Baker, who's sitting in the second row, my oldest friend in the room. Uh, retired in Spanish from the University of Florida. Uh, the three of us are editing the entire, and here I see I call them conversations uh, instead of interviews. I haven't found the proper language uh, for the people I spoke to or the procedure, the process. I, I think of them now as conversations. Uh, they weren't exactly question and answer interviews. Uh, we're working together to make a book that, uh, with the revelation of sound and all this, I would hope would uh, never lose, will never lose the audio uh, uh, and the visual component of, of the project that you're meeting today. Uh, that collaboration uh, continues. We're working on it even now. Then there's the collaboration with my, and I see I wrote down <laughs> the word subjects with my subjects. Uh, I remember at the time uh, somebody suggested that I sh really should go before a university committee because when you experiment with living subjects, so I tried not to call them subjects at the time, but I see I did and put a question mark here. Uh, the collaboration with the people I spoke to. Several spoke to and, and who introduced me to others. Several of the board members of what had become the historical branch of the Organization of Veterans of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. They organized as quickly when they were in Spain from 1937 to 39. Uh, there was an organization at home called Friends of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade who collected money and sent uh, clothing and material to them and welcomed them when they came home. Uh, the moment they returned, that group turned into the veterans of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, VALB. Uh, and then, as they grew older, uh, it turned in, part of it at least, turned into ALBA, a beautiful word. Uh, the archives of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. And so members of that particular organization who in the early 90s were still the vets themselves, uh, encouraging others to study and use their archives, uh, some of them had decided, and in the language of one of them that you uh, can hear on, on tape or on disc or whatever we call this, um, some of them had decided to, in the words he used, were looking both ways, come out as Jews. 
and wanted to leave a record of Jewish participation in the brigade. It's more properly called a battalion, but it's commonly called a brigade. George Watt, Bill Sussman, and their point man here in Seattle, uh, Abe Osheroff, uh, approached me at that time, invited me to meet them, and all of them are recorded and on the current website, incidentally. Uh, invited me to meet with them in New York. Uh, I had met Abe earlier. Uh, he, um, and we'll see and hear from him in a moment, uh, he, he, he gave a talk here at the university on the 50th anniversary of the uh, Spanish Civil War in 1986. He was so delighted with the weekend that he spent here that he moved here a year later, and we became great friends. In the spring of 92, at that meeting in New York, I was already prepared to like the idea of hunting people down and talking to them. Uh, I was, I say, already prepared to like the idea for reasons that I'll explain in part three, retrospection and collaboration. They and their friends who regularly occupied uh, the really grubby office <laughs> in lower Manhattan that had once housed the American Communist Party uh, provided uh, uh, a handwritten list of Jewish vets I got numerous lists of this kind over the next several years with names, addresses, and phone numbers. Uh, and uh, I want to say everything that I worked with, with uh, the men and women, uh, this, when I found it in my own little archive the other day, was the clearest one, the one with the fewest arrows and X's because one guy would make a list, show it to a friend, he said, ah, fuck that, you know, and <laughs> somebody would be executed on the page. Uh, kind of frightening. This too is collaboration. And I have to say that when I hear, when I use the word right there, uh, uh, in this way, uh, I don't mind having to face the fact that it's a slightly tainted word. Uh, these guys are in the bad language of the 1950s, naming names. They're giving me names, numbers, and addresses. Uh, and there was still, 1992, uh, a little bit of a shadow over that. And I wasn't entirely sure, and neither were they, what kind of reception I would get uh, simply for being, for coming to them saying, your friends gave me your name your phone number and your address. Sometimes I had trouble convincing uh, a person on the other end of a phone line that the collaboration was positive, in other words. There had been feuds, some had been cut when they quit the party, and whenever I say the party, I don't mean drinks. <laughs> there was that too, I mean the Communist Party. Some uh, had been cut because they didn't quit the party. Most were skeptical when they heard the burden of my pitch. That would be the Jewish part. Many did not share the readiness of my sponsors. Uh, and this is a line I heard so many times right away. Look, I didn't go to Spain because I was a Jew. I was an internationalist. And that's the favorite word, the key word, really. Not because I was a Jew, I was an internationalist. 
But most stayed on the line, and we would arrange a meeting generally at home. I wanted to see where they lived, and as it turns out, I wanted to see the what turned out to be the inevitable signs of their political lives, the posters on the wall, the photos, the record albums, the books. Only one person used foul language and hung up on me, a man with the inappropriate name, Mensch. <laughs> I remember very well, Harry Mensch. I won't say what he said to me, but he didn't want any of it. Typically, I met my first companion, um, uh, typically my first com companions would yield others. The list got bigger and bigger. I would find quite often that somebody wasn't alive. A number of them carried on our conversation in letters, most notably the wonderful and self-educated scholar Irving Weissman and Ed Lending, uh, whose valediction in letters from La Fort Lauderdale, where I visited him for three days at one point, uh, give the project its name. At the end of letters, Saludi Shalom. Uh, Ed Lending, again, self-educated, very proud of his uh, use of language. Uh, he had put that to use in Spain. A bientôt, j'espère. Saludi, shalom, moi. Uh, but mixed in was his native language, Yiddish. He was 80 years old when we met, 82. And when we got tired of talking, he took me out and whipped me on the tennis court yelled at me for my passivity. My, these were not easy people. Uh, okay, retrospection, the next part. My wife refers to an instrument that she calls, and I almost have trouble s pronouncing it, it's a scientific instrument. It's a retrospectroscope. Uh, she says, I use this, I hope, I hope, to illuminate the past, but also it suggests a general tendency on my part to look backward, not forward. Fair enough. Saludi Shalom demonstrates the utility of this <coughs> instrument at every turn. I look back right now. What are we, 2018? I look back to interviews conducted in 1992, 94, uh, with people whom I encouraged to look back to the early childhood and adolescence that might have induced them to put their lives on the line in Spain in 1937, but I always went back farther. Since for most of them, youth included membership in the Young Communist League and then in the party itself, they were obliged by 1992 to look back on the utter collapse of the long experiment that began around the time most of them were born, that is, revolution of 1917, and the median age year of birth was 1915-16. They grew up with the revolution, some of them very intimately, uh, and a few in Russia. Although most, but not all, had left the party by 1960, typically in 1956, uh, they, uh, they tended to do so with mixed feelings, 
that were stirred up again by the ultimate fall of the Soviet Union at the very end of 1991. So I was visiting people in the spring of that year who were just sort of digesting the utter collapse of, uh, of, of the <coughs> national entity that they had pinned their hopes on. Certainly in 1937, those hopes had uh, wavered, to say the least, over the years. Uh, but it was definitely on everybody's mind in 1992. I believe that what I just called the ultimate fall that is, of the Soviet Union, also encouraged or permitted them to open up uh, and be blunt in front of a stranger and a tape recorder. Some had done time in prison for their political activity. Irv Weissman, the guy that I had a long correspond, or I should say, not long enough, but a, a, a thick correspondence. Some had done time in prison, uh, and uh, uh, precisely their unwillingness to talk, for, for their unwillingness to talk, and incidentally to name names, 40 years earlier. The habit of reticence dies hard. I know that. I've known that all my life, uh, in my own family, among our friends. Uh, and I met it again. And a lot of the job here was uh, to ease people into a conversation that um, uh, I know caused torment for the very conversation for some of them. In part, that accounts for the letters that would follow. Many of the people I spoke to had not managed or wanted to keep their activities in Spain or their membership in the Communist Party a secret. Many of them were lifelong, very loud on the subject. But most had been, I want to say, discreet about the very reason that put them on my list, their Jewishness. Remember, they were internationalists. If we could look at my dear friend, and uh, uh, I just almost used the word informant, my informant, <laughs> Abe Osheroff. Uh, a little note uh, from 1937. Uh, he was 21 years old. Uh, and then around the time that I was interviewing him, but quite honestly, my interviews with Abe never stopped in one way or another. Uh, uh, I, I, uh, I have tapes, Mary, that I didn't give you of his telling the Hanukkah story uh, to a band of kids, uh, young friends of mine. That too could be recorded. Some, like my friend Abe Osheroff, were not at all reticent on the subject, never had been never changed his name, seemed to enjoy sometimes in rather combative fashion, letting folks know precisely who he was in Yiddish and in English. He said when he was a young guy and feeling a little frisky, he'd go into a bar and just challenge people, arm wrestling, <coughs> maybe something a little bit more uh, violent by um, announcing his Jewishness. But even Abe can't say that he went to Spain because he was a Jew and Hitler an anti-Semite. 
He explains his decision in intensely personal terms, uh, and uh, God willing, we'll listen to the voice of a man who died exactly 10 years ago. In my own case, because by the time the Spanish Civil War broke out, when I was 21, going on 21, I already was a political activist of 45 years duration. I already had been participating in pretty bitter struggles uh -huh. in, in which violence was important a great deal. I already had been to jail, you understand? I, yeah. I, I had been those things. When Spain occurred, it was another thing in my political spectrum, and I weighed very carefully what would be the consequence of my not going. Uh -huh. I wasn't exactly anxious to go, particularly because I was madly in love, physically anyhow, and so forth. But I felt myself like alienated from myself because here I was, the big speech maker in Brownsville, on every issue, uh -huh. foreign and domestic, And here came up an issue, it very quickly became an issue of some world importance, and I was just talking about it. Whereas previously, what I talked about, I did. I was a person of thought, word, and action. And now I suddenly became a person of word, thought and word, <laughs> and I began to feel a deep sense of uh, alienation and shame. Uh -huh. Somehow I perceived that I didn't go. I had very big difficulties with my conscience. So to me, going to Spain was good judgment. Uh -huh. To me, going to Spain was closing a gap that had appeared in myself as a persona, which was tearing me apart, okay? It had nothing to do with courage. We talk about that later. I have a, some thoughts on that question. I don't believe much in that business of color, courage and valor, because in some ways it could be said that the greater enemy was staying home, and I didn't have the guts to face mm -hmm. up to that. It's a very funny way to put it. Yeah. But for me, going to Spain was easier than staying home. Uh -huh. yeah. That's for me. You will not find many vets who agree with that. I think most guys, I've had that experience, they went to fight fascism. Well, fascism was only a concept for me at that time. I didn't have the slightest idea, real idea of it, until I saw it. One thing that you'd notice in Will when you listen to uh, a variety of people speaking is that that's a guy who is used to public speaking. Uh, and you'll notice that you hear my little chirping occasionally. Uh, it's not exactly a conversation at that point. He's making a presentation. Some of the others had never opened their mouth on the subject, uh, were uh, shy, very shy, uh, whatever their courage uh, was in other circumstances. And, and, the, and the tone of conversation changes. And I want to be able to express that both in my own prose, but also in the selections that we make uh, um, when we're editing uh, the large number of them. Uh, in 1937, at another point on the tapes that are that you can hear, we won't listen right now to this. Uh, Abe uh, said that he wasn't likely to, to at that time to distinguish 1937 German anti-Semitism from Polish or Hungarian, Romanian 
or the anti-Semitism on the edge of uh, Brooklyn Brownsville uh, that he knew pretty well whenever he went into Canarsie. Uh, that's the way the world was. And remember, in 1936, there was an international Olympics in, in Germany. Um, is so, so that he, that wasn't top as, on his agenda at the time anyway, even for a very self-conscious Yiddish-speaking Jew who down to that point never left, much left, a Jewish neighborhood. I once asked him, were you, were you ever in Spain before you went in 1937? And he gave me this queer look and said, Christ, I'd barely ever been to Manhattan. <laughs> you know, uh, one of my new friends, and I noticed that even in this writing, I'm migrating from subject to uh, companion, and now they're friends. And that, that I have to say, wasn't uniformly true, uh, but it is very much in the case that I'm mentioning here. One of my new friends, the medical workers, uh, <coughs> Celia Saborer, whose voice you can also hear in the uh, Jewish Studies selection, uh, had actually been to Berlin in 1934 and knew better. Uh, and she says as much here. Uh, Germany was a threat, and she was disgusted by right away, uh, uh, 1934, not 37, uh, what she saw in Berlin. She traveled at that time to Europe with her husband, the journalist, Maury Greenspan, who wrote under the name George Marion, and sometimes uh, James Hawthorne. I want to say the things that Jews do with their names, and in this case that a Jewish writer does with his name when he becomes Hawthorne, uh, he apparently disqualified himself from calling, from using Hemingway. Uh, <laughs> somebody might have noticed, but Hawthorne was good enough. I'm not condemning her for that. That's that's that, as we'll learn, is was the nature of the game uh, at that time. Celia had trained as a lab tech, uh, had been to Spain and Germany and the Soviet Union with uh, uh, George Marion, as he called himself in his writing, uh, in 1934. Uh, she, uh, they went for the uh, coal mining strike. <laughs> this is a funny kind of traveling. Uh, they went for the coal mining strike in Asturias uh, in 1934. Uh, they went for the war uh, three years later together. She returned to Spain in August of 36 to work with uh, the great Norman Bethune, the Canadian pioneer in portable blood transfusion, the medical doctor, uh, before the arrival of any of the men that I spoke to. Uh, Celia was in Spain and working. Uh, and keep in mind that the women whom I spoke to were mostly medical workers. They were all medical workers. Uh, they were trained to perform the tasks that they would actually meet when they got to Spain. By contrast with the men whom I spoke to, who had no combat experience, very few had ever handled or fired a gun. Uh, and you have to understand that street fighting in those days went on mostly with fists, you know, that golden age. Uh, so even in the rough and tumble world of uh, Brownsville, um, Abe had never hand, uh, used a gun before. Uh, uh, and I should add that neither of the, of the women whom uh, you'll hear, uh, whom you can hear on the site, um, 
uh, Celia Greenspan, and that's how she, what she called herself when she went to Spain with Maury, uh, nor Santa Goldblatt, neither of them changed their names. I have said that Abe Osheroff never changed his name, but others did, and it became a subject of real interest uh, along the way. George Watt, whom we'll hear uh, in, a, in two seconds, uh, began his life as Israel Kavat after his father, coming to America, had changed it from Kievkovsky. Uh, when you hear him explain the change from Is Israel Kvat to George Watt, you may hear a note of regret that often accompanies retrospection. There were several elements in it. One was we wanted to hide our Jewish identity to some extent, and that was really in response to anti-Semitism, uh -huh. uh, feeling that people would not follow us See, I changed my name when I became a public figure in the, uh, in the student movement. Uh, uh, there were several reasons, and some were rationalizations, and some were based on other, other factors. Uh, the ra one of the rationalizations was I was getting active in the, uh, in, the in the communist movement, and I didn't want my parents to be tarred with us and so on. But that was relatively minor. The main reason was that I had a very Jewish name. My name was Israel Quat, huh. K-W-A-T-T, and that originally came from my father, changed his name to Quat when he came to this country, when he got off the boat, but uh, his father's name was Piotrkowski, uh -huh. Polish uh -huh. Uh -huh. name. And uh, every, that was a general tendency to shorten and Americanize names right away. Many right. people did. Yeah. And, uh, and I further felt that this would be a subject that would be... And people like friends of mine, Adam Lappin, I remember, <laughs> uh, one of the leaders in the student movement, said, you can't, uh, I became the executive secretary of the National Student League. Uh-huh. Uh, Out of what institution? Uh, well, this was a, uh, I was going to Brooklyn, I was going to Cooper Union. I went to Brooklyn College at first, then switched to Cooper Union to study engineering, uh -huh. and then dropped out to become full-time uh, student yeah. organizer. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, you can't use the name uh, Izzy Quatt. Uh, and so I took on a name which I had already taken on when I joined the Young Communist League. In those days, it was a romantic style. We we aped, you know, the Russians. They all had, of course, all had different names. And uh, when you had to take a you had to take on a YCL name or a yeah. party name, yeah. uh, separate from your real name. And it was a childish, uh, you know, uh, business then. I think. Uh, but the atmosphere in the country was different. Uh, yeah. You didn't see, for example, you didn't see a Jewish name in the New York Times. Uh, Huh. on the byline yeah. and you didn't see uh, and when my cousin who's finished engineering and I was going to engineering school had to change his name to get a job yeah. couldn't get a job yeah. uh, with yeah. a Jewish name mm -hmm. so that was part of it and also you felt well all these people uh, would not follow you uh, uh, these were rationalization but also part of it was a cert certain bowing to anti-Semitism and perhaps mm -hmm. certain trying to see ourselves as uh, well, we sort of went into the closet. How do, how do I say mm -hmm. it? I, I, was, I was very much raised in the Jewish tradition. So. But I wasn't the only one. That was a trend yeah. at that time. You have to see it as a trend. Um, I feel bad about it at this time. What he's referring to is Lenin, Stalin, Trotsky, uh, otherwise Lev Davidovich Bronstein, uh, the, the ritual 
changing of names uh, at the at entry into a revolutionary movement. Uh, you hear uh, what at the least, um, at the very least, is an ironic reflection on what the writer Vivian Gornick calls in the title of a book, The Romance of American Communism. Looking back, George Watt would seem to totter between his politics, the party, and his Jewishness, suggesting that he may have sacrificed one f for the other. His last words there, I, I kind of regret it now. Uh, and yet, as with so many of the other people that I spoke to, looking further back, in their lives, more retrospection, we see Eastern European Jewishness, if not Jewish piety, emerging from the same cradle as their socialism. I say cradle because for people like Bill Sussman, whom we'll hear, who went to Spain as Bill Ellis uh, and George Watt, Jewish socialism the Bund, the Workmen's Circle, the Arbeiterring, uh, and for kids, the Yiddish Schule, the Shalom Aleichem Schule, where they all went, uh, all, where these guys and many others went as little kids. That's where their stories begin. Uh, let's hear uh, Bill Sussman explain his decision to go to Spain. But first, I want to uh, give him what he was very proud of, his um, his credentials. Uh, this is the man who, uh, in his 20s, fought in Spain, uh, and in his 80s, sat down uh, with me. Uh, and here he's sitting with the great uh, Zede of the movement, Morris Vinchevsky, uh, with a little schnapps I could almost be convinced to sing his songs, A la Brida. Uh, and others, but he was a poet, socialist organizer, uh, and a kind of idol in the left, uh, on the left, in this when this picture was taken in 1922. Uh, the boy in his incidentally peasant tunic. Uh, uh, this is in um, uh, Bridgewater, Bridgeport, Bridgeport, Connecticut. That's the shtetl in question. He was born in New Haven. Uh, is Bill uh, describes listening to his parents and all their friends in Bridgeport, discussing Lenin, Bukharin, Trotsky, in Yiddish, of course, uh, and leaving him with the impression that there was somewhere a country that was governed by Jews. They all spoke such beautiful Yiddish. <laughs> well, some of them did. Uh, others whom I interviewed will tell me uh, about uh, a moment of conversion, a radical conversion to left politics, a crisis. Uh, Sacco and Vanzetti came up more than I can say, for instance. Uh, not Bill. Uh, it was never otherwise. Uh, we can hear. And my recollection of the uh, political world, which starts about five or six years later, right, 1921 perhaps, 1922, was that people would come to our house for meetings. And they would engage in uh, 
hot debates and arguments about who is right, Trotsky uh, or Lenin or Bukharin. Who I was con convinced and persuaded were all Jews. <laughs> After all the reports uh, about what they were saying, it came through in the Jewish press, and they all seemed to speak Jewish perfectly. Yes, so right. I was persuaded that they were all Jews. Yeah. And I was very pleased that there was a country where all the Jews were Jews. Elsewhere, when in fact I ask him about uh, political conversions, all he can say is, I was born to go to Spain. Uh, he doesn't even have to go as far as Abe did uh, by way of uh, internal debate and alienation. I was born to go to Spain. Actually, he was sent by the party as a young man to Puerto Rico. Uh, he pointed out how odd that was that the party would send a Jewish kid uh, from Bridgeport to, to uh, organize uh, workers in Puerto Rico. He went to Puerto Rico, of course, ignorant of Spanish, but that's where he learned Spanish and began to recruit Puerto Ricanos to go to Spain. And, and that's when it occurred to him, what am I doing? Uh, and he was on the next boat. Most, <clears throat> most of the people I spoke to uh, uh, at what they knew to be near the end of their lives, and I'm the only survivor, everybody I spoke to has died since then. Uh, most of the people I spoke to were weary of the trouble they'd seen. In some cases, prison, blacklist, time spent underground. That was a term the party used when it sent people into hiding and wary of any effort, on the other hand, to idealize them with terms like the good fight and all. I was interviewing a guy in Long Beach, a longshoreman, and the moment the subject of the war came up, his uh, uh, somewhat peculiar son, who was puttering in the next room, yelled out with a fist in the air, the last romantic war to which my new friend said, Fuck off. <laughs> that also suggests the not always warm relations between parents and children uh, in the movement. But all that uh, suggests the tangle at the end of retrospection. The first time I had dinner with Abe Osharoff uh, at home in my house, he turned to me in my kitchen and said, in 1939, if the party had asked me to kill one of my comrades, I would have done it. Uh, and then he sighed. Uh, he wasn't proud of that. In 1956, when he quit the party, some of his old friends, his old comrades, uh, probably would have killed him. Uh, they certainly snubbed him. Elements of shame, regret, second, third thoughts mingle with pride and the fixations that are and fixations that are hard to shake years after the fact this was their moment i would see that in the walls decorated with photos posters from spain and uh, a kind woman brought to me a shirt that would fit abo sharoff uh, um, uh, no pasaran shouts from the wall from a show of posters from the Spanish Civil War, but that's the kind of uh, decoration that I would see on the walls of, um, uh, of the houses I visited, houses, apartments, 
what have you. Uh, one woman told me that her son, a guy my age at the time, complained that because of their politics, his parents, as, she, as uh, he apparently put it, were never there for him, never there for him. She said, picking up a terminology that she was just learning from, from the young, uh, you were never there for me. She reminded him that his father actually died when he was 10 years old, to which the son said, well, he wouldn't have been there for me. <laughs> no joke. That's what he said. Families had fallen apart. Ambitions were deferred. And sometimes in the very course of, of a conversation, I could see that the revival of memory would simply revive a sense of loss, not the least of Jewishness, of the very Jewishness that I required them to remember. The task of transcription, I should say, is complicated by outbursts of Yiddish, uh, which in, in the hands of most transcribers comes off peculiarly. Uh, but that's what would emerge, other voices from other times. When I was leaving him, and after he had shown me a picture of his grandfather, Avremela Dilamden, among the Bundists on strike in Lvov, in 1903, she was proud, George Watt paused beside pictures of his own grandchildren. And he said, I don't know if they know they're Jewish. Collaboration and retrospection. Sometimes, as I have suggested, their own children were fairly remote. And here was a young man. <laughs> I was 50 years old. But in that world, I passed. Not so young, maybe. But here was a young man who wanted to listen to them, to record and remember their lives. And what made that kid, me at 50, tick in this project? Well, a. Bosharov, George Watt, Bill Sussman, Celia Saborer, Sana Goldblatt, these are the voices that you'll hear when you go to that site. They didn't come to me out of the blue half a century after their adventure in Spain. I was born in the wake of that war, 1943, in what must have been the safest place for a little Jewish boy to be born in the world in October of 1943, St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> Such was the um, uh, esprit de guerre that my father was a air aid warden, apparently that year, telling neighbors to put out their lights and put up their blackout curtains on the off chance that something that wasn't going to happen might happen. So I don't pretend that being born in 1943 is exactly the same as being at the Harama front in 1937. Not at all. But I was born in a house where my parents were busily translating the Yiddish of Sholem Aleichem, where the books and the music and the pictures on the wall all resembled the apartments and the houses that I visited 50 years later. And indeed, in the decoration at the top of the site, um, uh, one of the pictures is off one of those albums that I spent my childhood listening to. 
six songs for democracy, Discos de las Brigadas Internacionales. Uh, songs of the Lincoln Brigade. Uh, the singer is a very young Pete Seeger. Uh, and I didn't, I think it would be safe to say that I didn't go to a house that didn't have illustrations like that one from this book. And I know that when I met Tony Geist, uh, uh, we traded credentials. Uh, and he had the same book. <coughs> it constitutes a culture, if you will. And yes, at that time, uh, when these were being bought, my parents were members of the Communist Party. My father died in 1945. I have pictures, essays, stories, a mountain of letters, but no memory of him. My mother died in 1996, and in fact, I interviewed her when I interviewed the others. My parents collaborated in their translation of Sholem Aleichem. Years later, my mother was unable to distinguish the stories she did from the stories he did. They had adopted a style together. Not long after, uh, I seemed to have dropped this project 25 years ago. I began to read my parents' letters and write bit by bit about their lives. In short, my own retrospection and collaboration interrupted the one that my friends and I have taken up. Thank you. <laughs>